Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for staying with us. My name's Andrew, one of the pastors here at First Alliance, and we're going to get into our time of Scripture this morning. At the outset of this new year, we are taking a look at the matter of prayer, and we're thinking through why prayer is so important for us as we follow Jesus today. Now, you might be tuning in and you might not call yourself a follower of Jesus. You might just be exploring spirituality. And we are talking about something that is very Christian today, but still stay with us because this could change your life as well. In the 1930s, the British economist John Maynard Keynes predicted that because of all the technological advances that were on the horizon and all the new ideas and the increased productivity that humankind would be capable of, he predicted that his grandchildren would only have to work a 15-hour work week in their jobs to sustain their lives. That would mean, you know, you go to work on Monday and Tuesday and then, you know, a five-day weekend. Awesome! That, he was a leading economist in his day. I shared this story with my wife this week, and she just looked at me and said, little did he know. The very man who said that his grandchildren would be able to work a 15-hour work week ironically himself died from overwork. It was just after World War II and Keynes found himself uh, as, as part of the people who were trying to rebuild the global economy, and he just worked and worked, and he overdid it, and he worked all the time, and his heart just gave out. You see, the fact is that we humans are controlled by much deeper drives than just having our daily needs met. We're driven by inadequacy, by fear, by guilt. We're we're driven by pride. We're driven by savior complexes. We're driven by greed and the need to acquire more and more. And, And these all push us to chase more. See, technology hasn't slowed us down. If anything, it's sped us up. And it's taking its toll on our mental health and on our relationships. You see, John Maynard Keynes envisioned a different way made possible by technology. But the Bible envisions a different way made possible by Jesus and the gospel that calls us out of the race and the hurry. Rich Velodas commented as follows. He said, as long as we remain enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we will not be able to be the people God longs for us to be. We desperately need a spirituality that roots us in a different way. And so this morning, we're going to consider that different way, the different way of Jesus and what it might mean for us in terms of adopting a prayerful life. How might a prayerful life change 
the way you make decisions? How might a prayerful life change the way you go out and engage with the world that instead of just entering into the hurricane of hurry, if you slow down each day to pray and tend to your relationship with God, how might that change the overall complexion of your life? And as we consider that, we're going to look at three short passages in the New Testament that actually set before us Jesus' own habit of prayer. In the Gospels, and especially in Luke, the writers of the New Testament are careful to call attention to how Jesus, while He was, you know, doing Jesus' things like going around healing people, preaching the good news, uh, confronting evil, that Jesus, in the midst of all this busy activity, always took time to withdraw and to pray. And so let's take a look at three passages. There are more, but we're just going to look at three this morning from Luke's gospel. Uh, I do invite you to have a Bible open as we look at these passages, but for right now, because we'll be skipping around, the words will be on the bottom of your screen, so please follow along with me there, and uh, let's give ear, because what we are about to hear is God's Word. So we begin with Luke 3, verse 21 and 22. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as He was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And now from Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them whom He also designated apostles or sent ones. Now, Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is God's word for us. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us in our weakness to understand and apply your word. Come and fill us now, even as we have heard this word, and would you show us the gift that we have in Jesus Christ and the gift of prayer. Please change us and renew us today. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So very simply, our outline is going to take us to consider three features of the prayerful life that we see in Jesus. And now obviously we could call attention to more, but here are three primary ones that we see in this text. And the first is intimacy. Our first text brings us into that incredible scene of Jesus' baptism, and it's just absolutely glorious. It's almost too glorious and too holy for us to look in on. It's this sudden manifestation of Jesus just as He's about to launch His ministry. It's this manifestation of His identity and glory. You have 
Jesus, the unique Son of God, about to begin His ministry, and then you have the Spirit descending on the Son, and then you have the Father's voice speaking the words of love and delight that accompanies the coming of the Spirit. Did you notice that Luke took special care to mention that Jesus was praying when this all happened? In fact, he's the only gospel writer who does this. It's in verse 21 that we learn that after he was baptized and as he was praying that this all happened. And it's interesting to note that this is the first time that Jesus is shown praying in Luke's gospel. And what this does is it sets out the nature of prayer for us and the character of prayer that prayer is about intimacy with God. It's about relationship, that it's about connecting to the relationship that is at the center of the universe, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, God's essence is love. We, we hear that word, the famous verse from the New Testament, God is love, this claim about His essence. And what's that referring to? It's referring to the fact that God is a relationship of love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And prayer actually connects us to that relationship. It's like tapping in to that relationality of the Godhead. It, it's a conversation and it's an encounter with God. Now, I want us to be careful as we look at Jesus' baptism scene because it's not the case that everyone is just automatically and always able to commune with God in that way. I mean, Jesus is the unique Son of God. But what does happen in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that the situation where prayer becomes possible is created. The situation where prayer is possible is created by Jesus because there's a problem. And this problem is really easy to see. You know, watch the news, look around in the world. This world is just torn apart by sin and evil. It's infiltrated me, it's infiltrated you, it's infiltrated the power structures of society. And what happened when sin first came into the world, one of the clearest results was that Adam and Eve, who had before lived in the Garden of Eden and lived in the presence of God, were no longer able to remain there. Sin brought separation. Sin brought isolation. And they were put out of the garden. I mean, that's what sin does. Sin separates us. It separates people from people. It separates people from God. And what Jesus did in his life and in his death is that he came to deal with that separation. He came to deal with that problem of sin in us so that he might create the situation where prayer is even possible, that we might be near to God once again. This is how Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6 puts it. It says, But when the time set had fully come, God sent His Son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we, that, that you and I, might receive adoption to sonship. 
And then it says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. The spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Isn't that incredible? It's this opening up of what happened in Jesus, that through Jesus, the unique son, because he lived and died and rose again, and through our faith in him, through him, we get in on God's family. We are received as adopted sons and daughters of the living God, and we might call him Abba, this intimate uh, nomenclature to refer to God as our Father. It's incredible. It's this amazing grace that we have, that we can come before the holy God of the universe, and we can come to Him just like my daughter comes to sit on my lap without a shred of inhibition or shame. Because any inadequacy, any unworthiness that we had is replaced by intimacy because through the cross, Jesus has made us adequate and more than adequate. Intimacy. A prayerful life is a life that is constantly entering into that loving intimacy and indeed brings it to bear on every part of our lives. It it comes to affect our identity, how we view ourselves, how we treat others, how we work, who we work for, why we work, what motivates us that love would be at the center of our lives instead of fear and guilt and, and inadequacy and all the other broken places that we use to motivate ourselves to send us into the world. The prayer-filled life is a life of intimacy, and it's also a life of of guidance. It's a life of guidance. Consider Luke chapter 6, our second text. Jesus is at a key moment in his life. His ministry has just launched, and he's been met with both immense popularity and intense opposition. The people love him, and the religious leaders really don't. And, And he's in this pressure cooker of a situation. And in this situation, he he does what he usually does. He he pulls away. He pulls away to a mountainside to pray for the night. And what happens in the morning is that he comes down from the mountainside out of the place of prayer, and he makes a choice. He makes a choice about how his ministry is going to move forward. It's time to put a leadership team in place. It's time uh, to to decide of of all those people who have been following him, of all his disciples or his apprentices who have been following him around and listening to his teaching, he's going to choose 12 to be his apostles. In other words, they're going to be his core, and he's going to actually send them to represent him and to preach his good news and to teach and to heal in his name. Prayer is crucial for us at all times and especially in times of choice. I mean, it's this incredible mystery that Jesus, He's fully God and fully human, but Jesus did not neglect to go to prayer in times of choice. And we do well to learn from that, that if Jesus needed to pray in times of choice, why wouldn't we? 
because our choices matter. Our choices set the course for our lives, whether we're going to walk in step with God and His purposes or not. And let me just say, we so often get caught up in making choices based on our impulses, based on unchecked ambition, and based on worldly wisdom. And the thing is, as followers in the way of Jesus, what needs to define our choices is not just random impulse. It's not even a static principle. But what needs to define our choices is a living person. What needs to define our choices is a living person. I mean, I mean, think about it. So often, we would rather just a principle. I want a black and white principle that I can just follow, and each and every choice I have to make, I do this because it's part of my principles. But that's not going to help you deal with all the choices you have to make in life, the nuanced choices that aren't so much about, you know, morally good or wrong, but are about good, better, and best. And Let's face it, sometimes we're faced with a choice where there is no good outcome, and we have to choose between a bunch of crummy options. We don't just need a principle, and God isn't just a concept. He is a living person, and we can come to Him in times of choice. We have this gift of prayer to enter into conversation with the person who is with us to guide us. And when we pray in times of choice and turn to Jesus, here, here's like the double gift of that. It, it's not only that we receive His guidance as we listen to His will in the Word and as we pay attention to the inner witness of the Spirit in us and as we listen to counsel of wise advisors. It's not just that we get guidance we also get the courage we need to see our choices through. We get the courage we need to see your choices tr- through, and you get an abiding peace, an abiding peace that can even withstand the fallout of the choices that you have to make because you know God has so led you. God has guided you. I mean, this is what I love about what Neil shared It's really simple. Prayer is really simple. And and the kind of prayer that we're invited into is just praying as if Jesus is actually with you, that He's actually alive and well and at work in the world. It's praying as if you actually have the indwelling Spirit of God in you. And and so you're asking Him what He thinks and, and you're listening. See, a prayerful life is a life of guidance. And I love how Neil just gave us such practical tips on on how to live that out. And lastly, a prayerful life is a life of trustful obedience. Trustful obedience. Our last text brings us into those dark hours before Jesus' trial and execution on a Roman cross. He's in a garden with his apostles, and soldiers have been dispatched. They're on the way, this critical moment, and what does Jesus do? He goes off to pray. And there's two things I want to highlight about this prayer of trustful obedience for us. First, Jesus prays honestly. 
Jesus prays honestly. In that place of prayer, Jesus doesn't stuff his feelings. He doesn't pretend that he's, you know, stoic in the face of the horror that he's about to suffer in dying on a cross. He is real with the Father about the fact that if possible, I would rather not die an excruciating death on a cross. He says, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And the cup is referring to his death on a cross. You see, the way of Jesus is not blind obedience that ignores or overrides our will or our desires. It's real obedience where you can come to God with what you're thinking and feeling and wanting so that He, God, can sort us out. So that He can sort us out. I mean, prayer is way too often uh, treated like, we, like when we go to the pl- place of prayer, I need to hide from God. Like, I shouldn't think this way, so I'm going to hide that from God. Or I shouldn't be feeling this way, so I'm just going to stuff it. Or I shouldn't want this thing, so I'm just going to ignore that, and I'm going to pray a pious prayer. And we pretend that we're someone we're not. But here's the thing. God doesn't want our religious pretense. He wants us. God doesn't want this ideal version of you that doesn't exist. He wants you because you are the one He wants to transform. You are the one He wants to lead into becoming like Jesus. And if Jesus is any guide for us, if if the book of Psalms are any guide for us in prayer, we can come to God with our confusion and our pain and our questions and our outrage. He can handle it. So first, Jesus prays honestly. He is so real and raw in His prayer. But secondly, He submits to the Father's will. He submits to the Father's will. He says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, prayer is the place where our will can get sorted out in light with God's will. And God never overrides our will, but when we come to the place of prayer before God, we remember that He is God and that our will needs to be submitted to Him. I mean, so often we treat prayer as an opportunity to to have God rubber stamp what really we want, right? Or or we say, you know, I decided this and I, you know, I kind of prayed about it and it feels okay, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. But did we really submit our will to God? Did we ever really come to prayer willing to lay down this thing that is so important to us, willing to say, God, this is yours. If you want to pick it up and put it back in my hands, I invite you to do so. You, you see, prayer goes beyond just sharing our will with God. It's, it's about submitting our will to His Jesus' way is the way of of offering ourselves to God. For Him to change us, to challenge us, to renew us, even to, to deconstruct our fabrications, even to pull away our pretense so that we don't stay the way we are, but we're transformed as we yield to Him in trustful obedience. Not my will, but yours be done. This short sentence is actually at the heart of all 
prayer. It's what P.T. Forsyth called the prayer within all prayer. Thy will be done. And let me just say, yielding is not easy. Yielding our will to God is not easy. It's actually a kind of death that we die. It's a death, death to self so that we might be alive to God. And it's a choice we make to say, I'm going to live today to see God's will done, not my own. Because I trust that He is God and that He is good and that He is sovereign and in control. And if anything, if anything is going to make the world a better place, if anything is going to bring fullness and fulfillment to my life, it's actually not my own will. It's His. So let's come back to that question. How might your life change if you prioritized prayer? You see, when John Maynard Keynes envisioned that 15-hour work week, what he failed to account for is our ability to just occupy and clog our lives with all kinds of pursuits and distractions and a hurry that is not essential. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, whether there is new technology or increased productivity, we always find ways to clog our time. And so here we are in a lockdown, in a pandemic, and we're spending most of our time at home. And you would think that in such a situation, when we are literally confined to just being at home, that we would have less hurry and less busyness and less franticness. But it's been amazing uh, to see how many conversations I've had with people who are utterly shocked by how busy and cluttered their life is even now. It just goes to show it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If we're going to have the kind of life of prayer that Jesus invites us into, we actually need to make intentional decisions to order our lives to prioritize prayer. And let's just say... So that we're clear, prioritizing prayer is prioritizing God Himself. Because prayer is that encounter. It's that conversation. It's spending time with Him. Jesus withdrew to a mountainside to pray, and He showed us the priority to prayer, but He's not only our example. He's our Lord, and He's our Savior. He is our justification. He is our adequacy, and He is our life. And he's the reason that prayer, this kind of intimate prayer, is at all possible. The prayerful life begins and ends, my friends, with the good news that we don't pray as a work to earn God's favor, but we pray always and only because of grace. That in Jesus Christ, we've been loved and accepted and given everything we need to walk with God. May we enter fully into the gift that is prayer and the gift that is God himself with us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to follow in your way, the way of intimacy with the Father, the way of guidance, the way of trustful obedience. Help us in our weakness. Empower us. Empower us to discern the essential from the non-essential, to discern the best from the good so that we can prioritize you in our lives to be first in all things. And Father, some of us come to you this morning burdened and tired and hungry, and we ask 
that you would fill us and satisfy us with your love. Do this by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.